She's at war with one of the greatest calamities of our generation, and that's sex slavery. She travels 300 days out of the year. She meets with presidents, cabinet members, parliaments. She defies organized crime, and as God, as her helper, she presses on. And uh, pretty impressive for uh, a woman whose world really was upside down. And when you look at Christine, you'd say, man, that woman, must she must have had an easy life. She must have had it together. She must have had everything kind of lined up for her. You know, somebody went in front of her, paved the way, made life easy for her. But that was quite the contrary. Because at the age of 30, she stumbled across some stunning news about her adoption. The couple who raised her had purposed never to let her know that she had been adopted. But when she came across the truth, she tracked down her biological parents and the official records of her birth told her that she was born to a Greek mother. And the box designated for father's name bore the name unknown. There was no name. And Christine said, man, that, that really bothered me. It lingered, you know, I lingered over this word trying to understand how someone so important to me could be reduced to simply this, seven letters in one word, and that single word seems so inadequate. But there was more because next to the box marked child's name was another seven-letter word, and when she saw it, it took her breath away. It was unnamed. Her father unknown, the child unnamed. It was a according to the document that Christine Kane was simply the birth of number 2508 of the year 1966. She was abandoned by those who conceived her and bore her, and you would say, man, that, that, that's a tough, tough thing to handle. I mean, could, could there be anything worse? And in Christine Kane's life, the answer is yes. It was worse. She was sexually abused by members of her family. They turned her child in, into really a horror story. It was 12 years of ugly evil that she had to live through. But hit the button for a moment because God came into Christine's life. She chose not to allow the pain of her past, but... She camped on the promise that was given to her by her heavenly father and was found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 1. And uh, <clears throat> as you can see, it says, Listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth from within the womb. He called me by name. How do you think Christine would have felt when she read that? Would she be discouraged? Would she be disappointed? Uh, I don't think so. I think, man, that thing would have just lit her up on the inside. Woo! My parents didn't name me, but God did. How much better is that, huh? And, and he called me. So Christine made a decision to believe in a God who believed in her. Good choice. How about it? And years later, when she heard the plight of the girls in the sex trade, and she knew she had to respond, and when she saw the faces on the missing persons posters and heard of the abuse at the hands of the captors, 
this unnamed abused girl stepped up and set out to rescue these young girls of her day. Listen, man, Satan's plan was to destroy Christine Kane. And you could say, yeah, that, that, that is understandable, easy to understand. But uh, Christine was emboldened because of her faith in Jesus Christ and what Christ did in her life. And this morning, when we look at Christine Kane's life, I'm sure <clears throat> there was a time where she asked a bunch of questions like, This just doesn't seem fair, you know? And my father just walked out of my life, never put his name down on the birth certificate. In fact, my parents just sent me out the pasture without even naming me. That's, that's brutal. But then for the next step where she was sexually abused for 12 years as a little girl growing up, to live with that. All kinds of questions, all kinds of torment that she had to go through. But by allowing her creator God, who loved her, redeemed what was out to destroy her and has been using that as a building block in her life to rescue other young girls around this planet. How cool is that? And so this morning, as we continue in the book of Habakkuk, the series, uh, on the back of your program, there's an outline, and of course, we always want you to track with that. And uh, you'll see that the title of this series is, is Living in the Real World. And, and the reason why I chose that is because uh, as followers of Christ, man, sometimes, sometimes we put our heads in the sand and we think, you know, when somebody says, hey, man, how you doing? And we, we kind of put on that spiritual face and say, man, I got it together. It's cool. Everything's cool. Um, but as we get into the book of Habakkuk, you'll see that this, this man, 30-year-old man, this, he was called a prophet. So God spoke to him and he gave that message to the people of Judah. Um, he identified with God and was honest with God and asked God some tough questions that were really bothering him. And some people, they're afraid to go to God with, with transparency, with raw feeling and emotion because they think, you know, God's going to get me. God, God's going to open up the earth and I'm going to fall into it. He's going to get me back because... I'm asking him some tough questions. Can I tell you something that God is big enough to handle it? Because it's in the Bible. And it's proven to us, even in this book of Habakkuk, three chapters, that you and I have permission to come to God with all the questions we might have. And let me tell you something. How about it? We all have questions, don't we? We sure do. And God wants you to come to him. Because if we pretend, you know, we just, we kind of tuck the, the questions away and we bury it, let me tell you something. It, you'll never have uh, the full relationship with Christ that he wants you to have with him because it's this matter of, can I trust God? Is, is God good? You know? 
And you have to settle it. We have to settle that. And so um, uh, let's, let's go to uh, Habakkuk um, chapter 1. If you were here last Sunday, we hit uh, Habakkuk 1, verses 1 through 11. And uh, today we're going to pick it up at verse 12. That's what you do, right? Is that what you do? Verse 12? Is everybody there? Good, good, good. So, verse 12. Notice uh, in my Bible it says Habakkuk's second complaint. <laughs> Have you ever complained to God? Uh, Habakkuk's second complaint. That's, that's just kind of interesting. Oh, Lord, my God, when I'm in awesome wonder, consider all. No, that's not in there. That's not in Maybe that's where the hymn got started from. What do you think? Could be. George Beverly Shea, where are you when we need you to sing that for us? Uh, see, I'm dating myself. All you younger generation people, you think, who's that dude? And what's that song? It's good. It's good. Well, let's start it over again. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you, are who, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. Oh, Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? And when they worship, then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests. You know, what do you, what do, you do? Um, because we're just reading that, do you listen, did you get all the questions that Habakkuk's thrown at God? Huh? It's kind of like rapid fire here, man. Just one question after another. And Habakkuk has the liberty to do that. And you might say, well, that's because he's a prophet, you know? That's why. He's a prophet. God gives him permission to do that. Listen, he gives you permission. As a child, a son of God, a daughter of God, he gives you permission to come into his presence and ask him question after question. He wants you to do that. And what do you do when you pray to God and you don't like the answer that he gives you? You ever have that happen to you? Uh, you interview for a new job, but they find somebody more qualified, you know, that doesn't seem right. You ask God for healing, and it, it doesn't seem like anything's happening. Uh, you put all your life savings into a new business, and a year later, it crashed and burned. You lost all your money. Or you move across the country to take a new job, and it doesn't work out, and you're unemployed all over again. I mean, stuff like that happens, Right? You have your dreams, you have your plans, and it seems like God's will is always different than yours. You know, it's, man, doggone it. So what do you do? What do you do? 
Well, Habakkuk, uh, he, he identifies with you this morning. If we could have Habakkuk here from 2,600 years ago, he'd say, man, that's, that was me too, just like you. Um, he didn't get the answer you see. First of all, he thought God was ignoring Judah's sins. You know, Judah had been generation after generation sinning and, and moving farther away from their God, the one true God. And second, Habakkuk thought God would never use Babylon to judge Judah. That's what he thought. And he was wrong both times. So what do you do when God doesn't live up to your expectations? What do you do? What have you done? Um, and so Habakkuk was troubled by, you know, the trouble that he had been living under. Let me say this real quick, that Habakkuk, they, they don't know for sure, but they believe he was around 30 years old. And um, he, had, he, had, he was older than Daniel, 12 to 15 years older than Daniel. And we know Daniel was exiled to Babylon. And this is the same Babylon that's going to come and judge Judah. So we have Daniel and we have Jeremiah, another colleague of Habakkuk. Um, and Habakkuk, as we, we'll call him a young man, but in the midst of his nation that, you know, everybody's doing it. Everybody is worshiping these other gods and everybody is living in this kind of lifestyle and everybody, Habakkuk wasn't. God always has somebody that lives for him. God always has that. And the question is, are you living for Christ now? In a world that, where it seems like everybody is drifting away from God. They are eliminating God from our culture. You know? It, it's a threat. Greg Laurie. Uh, they, he did a crusade in California recently, and they had a billboard that they took out to promote, to promote the crusade. And it was a picture of Greg Laurie, and he had a Bible in his hand. And people protested. They felt uncomfortable with the Bible, and so they decided, we'll take the Bible out of his hand. And then once they did that, they still had a problem with Greg Laurie. Because Greg Laurie is a follower of Christ. That's happening in America, friend. What's going on in your world? Well, Jude, uh, in Judah, whew, things were tanking spiritually. And Habakkuk, this young man, said, I'm going to live for God no matter what. Because this is only temporary. This is temporary right here. I'm going for the big picture, and that's heaven. And he was committed. He was committed to it. So here's the deal. He hung, he hung with Jeremiah. And, and uh, I'm sure he ran into Daniel at Walmart occasionally. Hey, Daniel, step it up spiritually, dude. Follow my example. Right? What's the problem? You don't think they had Walmarts back then? Huh? George Barna, he's a pollster, he asked uh, a question. 
across America recently, and he, he said, uh, the question was, if you could ask God one question and know that you would receive an answer, what would, they, would, you, would you ask? And the number one response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? That makes sense to us, doesn't it? Because when we just look around, when we have, our, we live our daily lives, we see pain and suffering everywhere around us, don't we? Hmm? Some of you are living through pain and suffering in your own home. And, and you have those questions. Um, just this past week, just to show that Habakkuk, 2,600 years ago, was dealing with, with questions in his culture that these were headlines in the news this past week. For example, an Ohio mom of five was killed after a crash that put her car in the path of a police chase for a stolen vehicle. Now you would say, somebody stole a vehicle, the police are chasing it, and here this mom of five gets tagged in the middle of the chase and is killed. That's a question mark, wouldn't you say? Hmm? Or here's a pregnant mom of three killed in a crash with a professional boxer who was driving intoxicated. Is that fair? Hmm? Uh, you'd say, why is that happening? Why, how, how does that happen? Um, and then, with Hurricane Florence going on, uh, Bruce Ashford uh, came up with this big question. His five-year-old came up with this deep question. He said, Dad, where is God during the hurricane?" What do you think? And he said, this is the, the question my five-year-old son asked me. We were huddled together on the porch with my wife, Lauren, and our two daughters watching the pine trees in our backyard being whipped around by the wind. They're on the East Coast, by the way. It's a good question. If God is as good and as powerful as the Bible says he is, then why would he allow a hurricane like Florence to devastate the Carolina coast where it's taken at least seven people? It's 11 the last I heard. Made thousands of other people homeless. Where, where is God during the hurricane? Did you ever wonder that? And Lauren and I struggled to give a response that would satisfy the curiosity of a five-year-old, but as difficult as it is to grapple with the existence of natural evils, there are some lessons we can all learn in the midst of their devastation. He goes on to, to talk about those, but he concludes with this. He said, in the end, the most powerful answer to where is God in the midst of Hurricane Florence is he is right here with us. He is right here with us. The imagery that Jesus was in the boat with the disciples when that storm came up on the Sea of Galilee, you know, and he spoke to the wind and the waves, didn't he? And so, as I tried to explain to my small children, God entered the suffering of our world on a mission to end it. Not only is he familiar with tragedy and loss, but he willingly laid down his life to put evil to death forever. Jesus' death on the cross proves the lengths he will go to identify with us in our suffering. And his resurrection provides a down payment on his promise to return one day to put an end to his suffering once and for all. Can I hit the pause button for a second, friend? Because Jesus is coming. And he's coming back. 
And he's coming back soon. We need to be alert to that fact. And in the meantime, before he returns, these evils offer us an opportunity to respond to the needs of our world with courage, faith, and love. And that is something that even a five-year-old can understand. You see that? And I don't know if you've been following this story. Um, 29-year-old and widowed mother of three boys, Kayla Stockline, in the weeks since her husband, Pastor Andrew Stockline, took his life. She's opened up about her grief on social media, sharing her heart with followers as she navigates the pain. Andrew was only 30 years old, pastoring a church in California. There is so much unknown for all of us, she said. The unknown is daunting. This isn't the life I dreamed about, but I know God is with me. This isn't the life I prayed for, but I know God will provide. This isn't fair. This isn't right. This doesn't feel real, but I know God is greater, stronger, and bigger. God is for me, with me, and beside me. He is wrapping his loving arms around me and my boys and reminding us even now that he has got this too. The reason why I like this is because we're living in a real world, friend. There are hurting people everywhere. There are people living with pain. They're living with grief. They're living with doubt, with fear. They're living with questions. That's the real world we're living in. And I don't think, I don't think it's, it's good for the kingdom of God that as followers of Christ, we just dust that stuff away and pretend everything's cool. Because it's not. And when you're struggling, it's, it's okay to say, hey, man, I'm struggling right now. You don't have to put on a spiritual show, you know, to think, oh, man, I'm spiritual. I can, you know, this is, I got it all together. Nobody's got it all together. Nobody. And so... You know, God, God's having this conversation with Habakkuk, and he says, the Babylonians are coming, and you can't stop them. Habakkuk, when they reach Jerusalem, they're going to conquer it, and eventually they'll destroy it, and I'm using them to judge Judah for her sins. And, and this is where Habakkuk just said, man, this doesn't make sense to me. God, how can you do that? How can you do that? So, number one in your, in your program, I know you've been waiting, warming up that pen, Habakkuk's questions, we, we hit those, uh, number one. Um, but here's what I want you to add to that. Habakkuk's name, because uh, would you name your son Habakkuk? What would you call him for short? Ho! Yo! Yo! That's an inside deal going on there. Yo, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Habakkuk means to wrestle, and it means to embrace. 
And, and, and what, what's interesting, Habakkuk's parents uh, don't know where they got the name and the baby's names for boys book or whatever, but there was something interesting about that, that his name means to wrestle and to embrace. And what you see through the book of Habakkuk is he is wrestling with God with some pretty serious questions, isn't he? Hmm? He's wrestling with God. And there's times when we come up with all kinds of questions and we think, man, life has just blown me out of the water and I'm walking away. I'm walking away from this, this life of following Christ because it doesn't make sense to me. There's, there's people that do that, by the way. But Habakkuk in the book being in the Old Testament is, is permission for you and I not only to wrestle with God with life's tough questions but while we're wrestling with him, we also embrace him. We embrace him. Why? Because he's holding on to us. I like that word cling, you know, cling. In other words, you're, you're, you're clinging, you're embracing, and you will not let go. Mountain climbers are very good at clinging. And that's the image that Habakkuk is giving to you and I this morning that, that we have permission to wrestle with God with all kinds of life's questions and doubts and everything that we go through. And while we're wrestling with him, don't go too far. Don't walk away from him when you're done. Embrace him because he's not finished. And um, look, at, look at number one, subpoint: God, who are you? Verse 12, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. What, what do you do when God doesn't make sense? What do you do? That's a personal question. What do you do when God doesn't make sense? Do you have, do you have a format, a program, something that you go through? You know. Uh, and this is where you have people aborting their relationship with Christ. When God does not make sense, when they cannot make sense out of God... They put God on the table and they walk away from him. But Habakkuk, because he loved God so much, this is what he did. When he had questions, he went and he camped out on God's character. Look at, look at, in the midst of these questions, Habakkuk goes back to God's character. Look at verse 12. He says, Lord, Lord, you are, that means you're my personal God. God, the word God, you are the strong one, the creator, the majestic ruler. Holy, God, you're holy, the holy one. You are in a class all by yourself. You're separated by sin. Eternal, you who are eternal. In other words, you're sovereign. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out, O Lord, our rock. Our rock, you are the only safe place. Those are the characteristics of God. And Habakkuk, in the state of confusion and doubt and questioning God, he goes back to this simple thing and he identifies to himself the character, the attributes of God that he can stand on. And if you're doing that very same thing today, if you're wrestling with God, I want to encourage you to, to print the characteristics of God and put them on your refrigerator. You know? 
and camp out on them and say, God, this is who you are. And in the midst of all my wrestling with you, I'm going to embrace your character because I can trust you. That's what, it, it, that's what Habakkuk's doing right here. It's a good place to be, you know? Because when we start questioning the fairness of God and, and, the, and the character of God, I can tell you what, that can lead you down to a dead end. And a dead end doesn't have a way out. And there are people who have been stuck there their entire lives and they're bitter and they're angry. And they're not fun to be around. That is not the place where God wants to send you. Dave Ogren, who will be here next month, some of you remember his story that his father died when he was only 33 years old. His, Dave's father was a pastor. Dave was only four years old. His, and, um, you know, Dave, it was a mystery. Why would God let my father, who was a pastor, 33 years old, why would God let that happen? That doesn't seem fair. Uh, my mom's a widow. I'm fatherless. That doesn't seem right. You see? You see the trail that he could have gone down? But Dave learned to make a choice, didn't he? And he put his belief in Jesus Christ anyway. But that didn't stop there because Dave's mom remarried just a short time after, and she married a man who on the outside looked very godly, looked very spiritual. He was a leader in the church. But little did she know, once she became his wife, he changed at home, and he turned into a monster. He was angry. He had anger issues, and he physically abused Dave's mom and for Dave himself, see? And, and Dave could say, man, God, my father died when he was 33 and my mom marries this other dude and he's, he's an anger freak, you know? That's not right. That's not fair. It's a mystery. And Dave is a young boy and as a young man, he had to deal with those kind of thoughts and questions. And he had to go back to the fact, I'm going to go back to God's character because God's character is bigger than this. Because in this world, life is not fair. Have you noticed that? Life is not fair. Elizabeth Elliot, who her husband was martyred in, by the Aka Indians in 1957, she could have become very bitter and angry at God. Hey, we're missionaries. How, why did you let this happen? But instead, listen to what she says. Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God did not protect his own son. Think about that. Life wasn't fair to Jesus, you know? Jesus, the perfect son of God. And God the Father sends him to this planet, and he is, he is tortured, and he's mocked. And he's nailed to a cross to carry your sin and my sin. Is that fair? Is that fair? You see, when we start questioning if is life fair, we can go back to the cross. Because the cross says life is not fair. But God loved you 
and me so much, he allowed his son to go through the pain and suffering that does not make sense so that you and I would have a bridge to be reconciled back to God again. That's love. Love didn't protect his own son. So, life is not fair. And God found himself separated from his own son because Jesus was carrying the sin of the world. Philip Yancey, in the book, Where is God When It Hurts?, wrote, to some, the image of a pale body glimmering on a dark night, whispers of defeat. What good is a God who does not control his son's suffering? But another sound can be heard, the shout of a God crying out to human beings, I love you. Love was compressed for all history in that lonely figure on the cross who said that he could call down angels at any moment on a rescue mission but chose not to because of us. At Calvary, God accepted his own unbreakable terms of justice. Any discussion of how pain and suffering fit into God's scheme ultimately leads back to the cross. You see it? It's the cross. When people ask why bad things happen to good people, you have to go back to the cross. Life is not fair. And we live in a broken world. Number two, God, how can you do this? Verse 13, but you are pure, cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow a people more righteous than they? Here, here Habakkuk's having this conversation with God. God, I get it. Judah, Judah, we've, we're, we're spiritually floundering here. But when we compare ourselves to Babylon, we look like holy people. Babylon, man, they're evil, they're corrupt, they're treacherous. How could you use Babylon to judge us, Judah, your people? It doesn't make sense to me, you know? Doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You ever wonder that? You ever ask God, that doesn't make sense? God, why? Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens and he does what he wishes. In other words, he's God and you're not, right? Number three, God, why? Verses 14 through 16. Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and burn incense in front of them. These nets are not the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. So, so Habakkuk is saying Babylon is raging through the known world at that time, overrunning nations. They're, they've got a reputation, man, of just crushing people. Man, they intimidate the nations. They, and Habakkuk is saying, are we just like fish? You know? Babylon's the fishermen. They're just throwing their nets out and swooping up nations at a time? Is that, is that how you're going to let us be, God? Just We're helpless in the water, you know? Babylon, we, they're just, and they're going to worship their nets because they're getting rich from overrunning all of these governments, the plunder, and they think it's all because of their personal success. That's their God, that net. God, that's not fair. It's, not, it's just not fair, God. 
And number four, God, how long will this last? You ever ask that question? God, how long? Verse 17, will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquest, God? I like what David wrote in Psalm 6.3, how long, O Lord, until you restore me? Have you ever asked that question to God? God, how long? Until you restore me? God, how long? Man, it sure helps if we knew, right? If God gave us a calendar, we could mark it off day by day. No, we don't have that luxury, do we? We have to trust him. We have to trust him. Our world's broken. And because we live in a world where our free will opened the door to the spiritual enemy, there's consequences for that. Sin is causing pain and suffering throughout this planet. C.S. Lewis wrote, I'm not sure God wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to love and be loved. But we are like children thinking our toys will make us happy and the whole world is our nursery. Something must drive us out of that nursery into the lives of others and that something is suffering. Isn't that interesting? In other words, something bigger than ourselves. And here Habakkuk, after he questions God, he transitions in the text, which brings us to main point number two, Habakkuk's decision. Verse 1, chapter 2, he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer me, answer my complaint. Once again, we're reminded of Habakkuk's Uh, the meaning of his name, to wrestle and to embrace. And, And after people dump their questions and become bitter and angry at God, they walk away from him. But Habakkuk is saying, I've done all the question asking. I don't have any more questions. And I'm going to decide to embrace God. I'm going to hang with him because I trust him. And it describes that Habakkuk builds a wooden tower, a watchtower. And uh, look at that image on the screen. Uh, That's not a wooden watchtower, but it sure is cool looking. Huh? You think that's where Habakkuk built it? Look at that terrain, man. Isn't that beautiful? But that's the image, a watchtower. It gets you up in the air. It, it isolates you from everything else around you. You, you get alone and, and, and you look. And look at number one, I will climb. Uh, um, Habakkuk is intentional. He's not just sitting back and, you know, let life push him into a corner, you know. Gloom, doom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. That's not where he went. He was intentional. He says, I will climb. I will climb up to my watchtower. I will build a watchtower and I will climb up it. It's hard to love somebody um, when you're holding grudges and you're bitter against them. Have you noticed that? Huh? It's hard to love somebody when you're angry at someone. And so Habakkuk loved God and, and he didn't keep him from challenging you know, 
but it was a request to understand and believe in him. And so he, he embraces God. Here, I will climb. And when he finished asking God, he listened. You hear that with kids sometimes. You know, they, you're talking to them, they go, la, 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 la. What's that? They don't want to hear you. They, they want to drown you out, right? La, 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 la. You're trying to talk to them. Well, that's how we are with God sometimes. Sometimes we just keep talking and talking. We, we over-talk, and God's trying to talk back to us, but we never give him the opportunity. I'm going to climb, Habakkuk says. And then he says, I will stand. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There is something symbolic here about standing. And as a man and woman of God, you have to stand. You have to choose to stand. And Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to stand even in the midst of all these questions. My world is upside down. I'm going to stand with God anyway. Just like 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Right? Ephesians 6, 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. There's something about standing, right? I'm not going to get run over. I'm going to stand, man. I'm going to stand on the character of God. That's what Habakkuk is doing here. And then finally, he says, I will wait. And this is the tough part. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. That's pretty gutsy for Habakkuk, you know? I will wait to see how God will answer my complaint. In other words, I've been complaining to God. God's given me permission to do that. And now I'm going to wait. His decision was to wait on the Lord. Man, that is so good. That is a great place to be, to wait. Not to run away from God, but to wait on God. And we don't even know how long he waited. Jay Baxter put it this way. People say that God does not speak to men as he did long ago. The truer statement is that men do not listen today as they did long ago. Isn't that true? I was, I was in the car the other day in a parking lot, and I don't know, I was just thinking, you know. Debbie was shopping. That's what men do. They sit in the car while their wives shop. I was just watching people, you know in the parking lot, and, you know, they radios blasting and all that stuff. And what did people do 100 years ago before the radio? Huh? They had times where it was quiet. We, we, we keep noise in our heads all the time, and God's trying to talk. We can't listen. And Habakkuk is listening. He's turning off the radio. He's turning off the television. He's listening to what God has to say. And so, for this Sunday, this is where we're going to leave Habakkuk. We're going to leave him in the watchtower. Is that okay? It's a good place to be, isn't it? In his tower, he's looking, he's watching, he's waiting for the Lord to give him an answer. And as you wait...
for the Lord. Remember, God's not forgotten you. He's actually in that watchtower with you. Yes, he is. And you, you are on God's mind right now. That's a great place to be. And Father, we thank you this morning for the great example that Habakkuk gives us, giving us permission to wrestle with you with life's questions and also encouraging us to embrace you in the midst of it. Lord, thank you for your character. Thank you for your promise that even in the midst of pain and suffering, you are there with us, walking us through it every step of the way. Not only are we embracing you, Lord, but you embrace us. You hold us, you carry us daily in your arms. That's your promise. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, when life doesn't seem fair, when we have all kinds of questions, you give us permission to come face-to-face with you and communicate those questions back to you. So, Lord, I pray for each person in this room this morning who might be struggling, who might be questioning. I pray that they will be encouraged to build a watchtower, to climb, to stand, to wait, to wait for you, to wait with you. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.